We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. The NBA draft, Mr. McCollum, what was your draft experience? It was a very, very interesting time in my life to where there's a lot of uncertainty. I wasn't sure where I was going to be drafted, but I knew my range, and I knew that I wasn't essentially going to fall past 11 to the Sixers. I think it's a great time to celebrate, honestly. You got all your family, your loved ones, all everybody's close to you, and you're celebrating you know, the ultimate dream, which is to, to play in the NBA. I think one of the sleepers is Mikael Bridges in this draft, and I haven't talked to him and sat down with him. I think he's ready to play right now. You know, he's, he said that he's, he's a champion, he's a proven champion, he's played all roles coming off the bench. You know, have a skill that translates right now. You know what you're going to get from him. Welcome to the Jabari Parker episode of Pull Up, number 12. It's draft week. Currently in New York, very, very busy week, very hectic schedule for a lot of uh, prospective athletes. I had the pleasure of sitting down with a few uh, players earlier today, Mikael Bridges being one of them, DeAndre Ayton, as well as Michael Porter Jr. But before that, I worked out at 7 a.m. with the strength coach, got a nice lift in, you know, some, some mobility, some flexibility stuff, and got a nice on-court workout in to welcome myself back to the gym. It felt good to get out there and shoot the ball, watch it go in, watch it not go in, and just to... Uh, uh, get a sweat and really uh, work my way back from a long, long hiatus off the court. Just continue trying to work on the body and build the body back up, get stronger, get my core and my base right before stepping back on the court. So I was excited about that. Spent the weekend in Canton, Ohio. I was able to visit some family and uh, kick it with my dad on Father's Day. Took him to a nice dinner in Cleveland. Uh, a nice restaurant where it's basically all you can eat. Similar to Fogo de Chao where you have the green side and the red side. And you just continue to eat as much as possible. I had lobster, had crab, uh, among many other different types of uh, protein. And I am, I don't know, 18 days in on no dairy, although I had some cheese on accident the other day and a little bit of butter on my uh, lobster. I'm 18 days in of no heavy loads of dairy, and I feel great. I haven't had to take my allergy medicine in a very, very long time. But I just want to say shout out to all the fathers out there on the previous Father's Day. And speaking of Father's Day, we have a father as the co-host, Jordan. How was your Father's Day? And what did you do for your father? CJ, it was great. Low-key, slept in. Just kind of kind of kicked it, man. Um, definitely got some work in, worked out. Got some vino in, which I know we're going to hit on a wine corner. So it was lovely, and uh, appreciate you asking, man. No problem at all, man. Happy Father's Day to you did you get a, a special breakfast a special gift did um, oh yeah the kiddos come jump into bed and make you little cards and, and all that stuff nothing like it. absolutely we got the little eggs locks and onions which is a uh oh, i love the eggs and locks. family like an age-old family uh secret recipe i guess the way we make it it was great and uh it was just a it was a nice day yeah i'm glad you enjoyed it man i'm really happy about that father's day is a time where we have to give thanks and i think a lot of times, Mother's Day overshadows it. You know, people You're right. it really, does. really celebrate the, the woman in our lives, which is important to celebrate the mothers. But I think a lot of times the fathers get the short end of the stick. So 
it's important that we, you know, celebrate the fathers as well out there who are present. And some of the fathers that aren't here uh, today as well as I tweeted and posted on my Instagram. But just wanted to make sure we touched on that. Uh, did you do anything special for your father or did you just shoot him a, shoot him a quick text? I love you, Dad, and kept it moving. No, you know what? I actually spent the day with him. I kind of surprised him and uh, wrote a nice card, helped kind of make a little lunch action and just, uh, you know, made sure that – because like you said, it's kind of one of those – Father's Day is one of those holidays that does get overlooked because mothers are superior to fathers. At least my mom is. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, like the, the mother-son relationship is very special. Um, but, um, no, it was, uh, I made sure to, yeah, I like, there's a lot of mama's boys out there. Yeah. And count me as one of them. So I made sure to pitch in and, um, make sure that he felt nice and loved and it was great. But CJ, here, here's my real question is when are you going to be a father? <laughs> that is a great question. That is a great question. And, uh, I think uh, it's in God's hands, you know. It's not in my hands. It's in God's hands. When, when he when he believes the time is right, he'll put it in my heart to to act on it. But right now, I'm just trying to enjoy my youth and my freedom and my flexibility, ability to travel and do a lot of the things I want to do and, and ability to be selfish. Well, we know you're selfish. So uh, that's, that's kind of my take on it right now. And <laughs> you ha- when you have a kid, you have to be extremely self- selfless, like, to the max, to where your sleep is sacrificed, your time is sacrificed. It's almost an extension of you. It's like your heart is outside of your body. That's kind of how somebody compared it uh, to me and kind of explained it. It's like it's like having your heart outside of your body at all times and just essentially being worried and cautious to how you live and cautious to how your son or daughter is living because you're always, you know, basically feeling feeling like a part of you is gone, you know, when you're not around them. And I'm, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to sacrifice just yet. But I look forward to the opportunity. Uh, when the time does come to, to be a father, I think it's one of the best things in the world, being able to, to be a parent. That it is. But uh, moving on to the NBA draft, Mr. McCollum, this is a big week for a lot of these kids that are, or really 60 of them are going to realize their dreams and then go from there. So I guess my question for you is, what was your draft experience? The fact that, you know, you, you obviously were a lottery pick, and I'm sure you, you had – ideas of where you might land that didn't end up so just take us through that day and really that whole week because in talking to prospects throughout this week it is unbelievable how hectic their schedule is and as you just told me before it's like by the hour so take us through your experience several years back yeah my experience was awesome and it was five years ago five year anniversary uh, it was a very, very interesting time in my life to where there's a lot of uncertainty. I wasn't sure where I was going to be drafted, but I knew my range, and I knew that I wasn't essentially going to fall past 11 to the Sixers. So I had a lot of comfort. I wasn't really nervous or worried because the hard stuff was behind me, you know, getting you know, getting the chance to, to potentially be an NBA player, getting on the draft radar, getting in the mock drafts, uh, performing at a high level in big games. I had already done all those things, and then I had failed. I had gone through injuries to where I, my, my season was in jeopardy. I sat out and recovered and, and passed a lot of the physicals and the testing. So it was it was interesting to just kind of see some of the feedback I was receiving from teams once they seen that I was medically, you know, healthy, which is kind of some of the things Michael, Michael Porter is going through and a lot of those players, clearing the uh, – evaluations and checkups and making sure the body's all right and then going on the court and actually working out you essentially get, go through all your your draft workouts and and then you have some time on your hands before you fly to New York depending on where you're at and I was already here working out in New York so I got down to the city 
got down to, I think we were staying at the Sheridan in Times Square, which was, you know, my first time really being, you know, downtown and being involved with Times Square, just seeing so many people. It was just a, a dope experience in general. And just the, the amount of travel you do uh, leading up to the draft, meetings, uh, meeting with meeting with certain brands, you know, having uh, mandatory NBA Cares events and different things like that. You're basically on the hour every hour of the day starting at 8 or 9 a.m. And it's it's a long, grueling few days going through interviews, going on podcasts, going on radio shows, uh, doing appearances at certain stores. Uh, it's a it's a big, big time. And I, I think i kind of seen the exhaustion on some of the guys' faces and how they had no idea this stuff happens behind the scenes. And then the fun part is being in the green room and, and seeing some of the, the, the players you've watched as a kid and just being able to, you know, have conversations with ex-NBA players, with current NBA players, be on ESPN, actually get drafted, put on the hat, and then it just never stops. You go through that whirlwind of, you know, speaking to your GM, speaking to your coach, figure out when the press conference is going to be, and then the media circuit you do in the back is at least another 90 minutes, and it just turns into a long night. And then when you're as exhausted as you can be, it's time to go out and enjoy the fruits of your labor that night. So uh, it was a very, very good experience for me, one I'll always remember. had a lot of fun, and I'm sure – the other players will uh, have fun as well. Yeah. What what you just described, see, doesn't even feel all that fun. I mean, the draft itself, but all that travel, the workouts, the assortment of interviews and questions, at what point did it become, if at all, did it become like a chore, the pre-draft process? The pre-draft process was a little stressful, honestly. You know, looking back on it, the, the amount of travel you do isn't normal. You know, going to all those workouts. Some players get 20 workouts in in, I don't know, right. 20 days or less than 20 days span. So the body's exhausted. It's your first time really flying. But a lot of people, it's their first time flying first class. So, you know, you're excited about that. You're staying at nice hotels. You're going through interview processes with, you know, teams, psychiatrists, and, and various coaching staff members. And then it ends, and then it's time to, you know, speed up the process of figuring out what city you go to. And a lot of my friends had to fly to whatever city they were drafted to the next morning. So you, you imagine a kid gets drafted, he goes out, stays out for majority of the night, and then has to wake up and take a plane to whatever city he's playing in and, and hold a press conference that morning. So Oh, brutal. I think it's it's a great time to celebrate, honestly. You got all your family, your loved ones, all everybody's close to you and you're celebrating, you know, the ultimate dream, which is to to play in the NBA and you know, being a kid, and as I talked to DeAndre Ayton earlier, he said it. You know, since 13, since he came to the United States, his, his entire goal and motive and plan was to make it to the NBA and then be able to bring camps back uh, to the Bahamas. So he's really looking forward to that, and he signed with Puma and was talking about how thankful he is for the opportunity to represent a brand and how he wanted to kind of separate himself from Nike and Adidas. So it's going to be interesting to see the dominoes fall in this shoe business, the dominoes fall and the free agency side of things, you know, based on the draft and what's to follow. Yeah, I was um, – speaking of Aiden, by the way, I was talking to Bamba, Mo Bamba, and I did a spot with him yesterday in New York City. First of all, he is – he's a special young guy. He's hes all a 7-1. And I told you that when I reported the 7-10 wingspan, it's almost a double take because Gobert is 7-8.5. And, and when you see Bamba in person – it's like that is an NBA center. And when you start to think about what he can do offensively and score the ball, block shots, anyways, he tells me, he says, you know, I went up against Aiton, and I think it was four times as a prep, and he, and he made sure to say 
that he had beaten Aiton all four times and that he was the best player <laughs> in the class. So I'm already sensing a little big man drama there, a little rivalry developing between Bamba and Aiton, which would be terrific. There's for sure a rivalry there, not only between him but the other players as well. I asked Aiton who should be the first pick in the draft, and he, and he told me we all know who should be the first pick in the draft, but the, the real question is, who will be the first pick in the draft, and that's me. And I asked him if he had a promise, and he said, no, I don't have a promise, but I just believe I've earned the right to say that. I've worked extremely hard. I'm confident in my abilities, and I believe that I am the best player in this draft, and I will be the best player in this draft. I love that. So you can just, you can just see the, the confidence oozing out of him, you know, just his ability to, to really believe in himself based on what he's overcome. And he compared himself to KG, saying that uh, he sees a lot of similarities in, in their motor, how hard he plays, and how relentless he is. And even, he even said he was crazy. He's like, I'm crazy. And I said, that's good. And we're all crazy. It's just different levels to it. And make sure you use your crazy the right way to, to impact others and to influence yourself uh, to get yourself up for games because it's yeah. a long, long season. I asked a uh, non-lottery coach if Aiton was really the clear-cut best player in this class. And he said, yes, You know, at least for his organization, they had Aiton ranked in a Tier 1 all by himself. And then it was you know, Tier 2, Tier 3. But I thought that was interesting because there was a thought process among at least the public that, you know, Aiden and Donkic, uh, maybe Jackson and Bagley, or at least Bagley, Aiden, and Donkic are in that tier one and that there's not a lot of separation. Right. But at least this organization felt like there was. Right. I think you look at his size and versatility, and that's what kind of separates him from other teams. But I think it's also based on team need because he could be a tier one player, but you just may not need a big man. But in the Phoenix, in the Phoenix Suns case, you look at the fact that he played in Arizona. He's versatile. He has a motor. He blocks shots. He rebounds. He's working on his mid-range game, as he said before. And I think it's almost a no-brainer. Although you do have Doncic there with a possibility to take him number one with his coach, you know, being of European descent. Uh, there's a lot of interesting elements there, but I think ultimately he goes he goes one, and then the rest of the dominoes kind of fall in place. And I think one of the sleepers is Mikael Bridges in this draft, and I haven't talked to him and sat down with him. I think he's ready to play right now. You know, he's, he said that he's, he's a champion. He's a proven champion. He's played all roles coming off the bench. Yeah. You know, being an energy guy, being a defender while developing a three-point shot to where he shot 44% from three uh, this past season or in the, in the tournament. I can't remember which one he said, but I like his maturity. I like his poise and his size and ability to, you know, have a skill that translates right now. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to be able to knock down threes. He's going to be able to defend. He's long. He's lengthy. And we'll have uh, – I think he'll have a game similar to Otto Porter at first where he's, he's shooting mid-range jumpers, he's shooting corner threes, and then he'll develop the rest of his pick-and-roll game later on. CJ, Mikhail Bridges is a proven winner. I mean, the guy has improved every year. He's won two national championships. He won the Julius Serving Award. Everything that's been asked of him, he's accomplished. And, you know, he, he's a 3-and-D wing right now, and Jay Wright has said in the Villanova program they don't love that term. But to me, that's what he is. But I think he could become more, a secondary playmaker. I think he can really add shooting, as you mentioned. But he's also someone that can get off the bounce a little bit, can playmake. And he's just a basketball player. And we get so caught up in positional uh, activity right now. And for me, with Bridges, he's a com as complete a player as you'll find, as complete a person as you'll find. And I think he's a great fit to wherever he goes on and off the floor for what you're trying to build. Yeah, I like him. I'm a fan of him more so because of his path, like you said before, 
Uh, he came off the bench his, his freshman. He didn't play a lot. wasn't highly touted. wasn't highly recruited. He even told me he, did, he didn't envision playing in the NBA after his freshman year. He was just trying to get on the court and start at Villanova and, and figure that situation out. So I just like stories like that. And even having Michael, Michael Porter Jr. talking about his upbringing, what it was like for him to play at Missouri, and just seeing him kind of struggle you know, with injuries and, and battle through injuries, I kind of told him my story about how I was hurt early on in my career. And there's going to be a lot of doubters and things of that nature, but it's important you have a, a solid foundation around you and try to stay as even kill as possible through the ups and downs. And I told him that there's, there's something that comes with these injuries, a, a greater appreciation for the sport, a greater appreciation for your body and, and how you use it on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, he, he could he could re really relate to, to kind of what I was saying. You just kind of see him looking like, wow, uh, I, I think that, you know, all the, the back injuries and stuff I've gone through, it's just gonna it's just gonna help me out in the sense that he he may fall to a team that that wouldn't have been able to get him had he been healthy, you know this entire season. There's there's discussions that he would have been in that discussion for for number one for number one pick. Yeah, people around the league have told me that he is the best offensive prospect in this class, and you said he's all a six ten. I mean that's that's like a Paul George profile, and had he not gotten hurt, and I realize he got hurt, but he could have been the number one pick. He's that talented, and in a context is. I grew up playing AAU basketball with Brandon Roy, and I think, and that was his high school coach. And I think Porter has more offensive gifts than Brandon, obviously a former great Trailblazer. So I, I'm you fascinated. Think he's got more offensive gifts than B Roy, than the great B Roy. Are you sure about that? That's a bold statement. B Roy was polished. Oh, he was very polished. But more, I think at, at 19, he'll turn 20 this month. More raw offensive gifts than than Brandon, with the size. Okay. You know the handle, the athleticism. He's just he's special. Um, you know what I want to go back to? You mentioned the uh, some of this shoe talk with Puma, and obviously for you, you went leaning last year. But this is a two part question. One is what what role can Puma have, especially with Jay Z? Now they're getting young guys for cheap. Aiton Bagley, you know, perhaps Trey Young. So what role can Puma have? How can they disrupt that space? And for you, what was your process of going through the, you know, all these sales pitches by sneaker companies, lifestyle brands, et cetera? Yeah, I think Puma has a chance to really make an impact, you know, in this space. Obviously, there's a lot of different brands going around uh, and making a splash. You got Adidas, you got Nike, you got the big boys, you have the Chinese brands, Leaning, Anta. Shout out to Leaning, anything is possible. And you have Under Armour, who Steph Curry is the face of, obviously, but they've all continued to develop. They've targeted certain players. They've targeted certain markets, and it's it's obvious Puma was strategic about their game planning. They targeted a potential number one pick. They targeted Trey Young early on, and we're hoping to kind of land him since since there's a chance he goes to a big market like New York. And then they target Mar Marvin Bagley, who's more of a versatile big man, who's probably more appealing to the general public because a lot of times it's hard for a big man to sell shoes. So I think their strategic game planning, and then they hired Jay-Z to, to be more so in charge of uh, the branding, the development of certain shoes, and the marketing aspects of it. I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they continue to progress, You know, what type of basketball shoes they're able to, to establish and make, and what type of molds they will have going forward. But for me, this decision was easy. You know, Going through the process, uh, being a Nike guy uh, historically, um, throughout my uh, upbringing, throughout my high school career, playing for King James, playing for Ohio Red, a Nike school, and in my high school also being a Nike school, I felt like there was some sort of brand loyalty. You know, having been comfortable with it, been more familiar with it, I just kind of stuck with it because I had always been a part of that. But the funny story 
and the funny part about all of it is that Adidas actually offered me more money. I turned down more money with Adidas to stay with Nike, ended up fracturing my foot anyway. So you can, you can imagine how, how I felt about that situation early on. But as they say, things happen for a reason and you kind of learn from it and progress. And I think the difference between our generation and past generations and now is that these kids are more likely to step outside of the box. They have brands early on, they have huge followings coming from respective countries or respective uh, universities. And as Aiton said before, he was like, look, Nike and Adidas and all those major companies are great, but I'm trying to be the face. He said it. He said, I'm trying to be the face. He said, you got LeBron, you got Katie, you got Kyrie, you got all those guys at those big brands, and they're perennial all-stars, and I'm coming in as a rookie. He said, I want to do something outside the box. I want to, I want to create you know, a new segue for big men. I want to create a new segue for, for people coming from different countries and you know, potentially be the face of Puma. I think that's his approach to it, and for me, it was simple. I went through all those meetings again the second time around. I wanted to figure out, you know, how I could have a huge impact, how I could be an influential member of the brand in terms of having a voice and in terms of being one of the faces of a of a large brand that has major, major uh, Asian influence. You know, being able to have a presence in China was big for me because I have a lot of ideas, goals, and aspirations in terms of, you know, making a segue into that market, not only from a journalism perspective and route, but also from a community service route to where uh, there's a lot of things I want to do to impact that community. And uh, I'm really looking, looking forward to, to integrate myself, you know, in Asia, integrate myself with the brand and continue to, to help put out, you know, new things. And I think that's the, just, just the way and the approach these younger kids are having now. They, they're not afraid to step outside the box and, and try new things. See, and that's just it to me. That's what's so cool about Puma, specifically with Aiden, who's going to be the number one pick, is the thought process that it's okay or even it's a good thing to be different and start something new and something with like Puma to me. I've always thought Puma has been a sleeping giant because they're, it's such a massive brand in Europe. And the fact that they're going out and getting these young, marketable young men, it's fascinating too, that Aiton and Bagley is big guys. We don't see that a lot to me. That's a huge move. It's a positive move. And I think for you going, you talk about China, you know, that, that market Asia, but specifically China, is so basketball-obsessed and passionate that similarly to maybe Aiton and Bagley going to Europe with Puma, you having the opportunity to grow your global brand and try to become this iconic figure in Asia is just a massive plus that maybe signing with Nike or Adidas long-term wouldn't provide you because they have so many other guys. Yeah, I think it just comes down to your preferences. Obviously, there's a lot of great brands out there. Uh, obviously, the big boys, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, they do a great job of servicing their clients. Nike was great to me. Actually, my, my college friend and close friend Marquise Hall, who hosted me on my visit at Lehigh, was my rep for Nike. So the service was fantastic. They're, they're a first-class organization and, and company in itself. But I just stepped outside the box, wanted to try something new, and wasn't afraid to adapt and you know, make myself vulnerable, make myself vulnerable to a new situation to where uh, I, I always like to say that it's, it's important that you, you work hard, you do things the right way, and, and you take chances and take risks. And I think that, you know, signing with Leaning, you know, seeing the, the path D. Wade had and, and how successful he's been with the brand, how successful he's been on the court as well. And from a comfort standpoint, you look at the factories and where a lot of the shoes come from, they're all made in the same place, which is, which is ironic and, and, and kind of interesting. 
you know, a, a shoe is a shoe is a shoe. And if you have an orthotic in place and if the shoe is built for you and molded the correct way, you can have success. And the success the guys had back in the day playing in Converse's, playing in, you know, Ch Chuck Taylor's and Air Force One's like Rasheed Wallace didn't really affect them, you know, at the time. Air Force One's, that – have you ever tried hooping in those? That I mean, I know Nelly says it's a cross trainer. That is the worst basketball shoe, like – I've ever worn it. It is. It's heavy. It's bulky. You can twist your ankle. I would not recommend that, CJ, even for you. It's more of a lifestyle shoe, um, off the court. And if you check my gram, atrocious basketball shoe. It's an atrocious basketball shoe. But if you check my gram, I actually took a took my team photo in some high top or mid Air Force ones with the straps on them. And I actually was known to to shooting them in gym Ooh. class. Took some took some rec, rec in gym class, okay. and I was a five seven a uh, hundred and. <laughs> I'd give myself 100, 115 pounds stud. Big baller. Yeah, five seven, 115 pounds of, of deliciousness. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're one sick puppy. You know. I that? was not a big. I was not a big. You were not big a big baller. guard. That's for sure. I was not a big baller. I was a small guard. Yeah. By the way, I looked up uh, just now a few minutes ago. I was like, I knew we were gonna get some point to your high school career. I was hoping today. And I noticed that in your recruiting profile, you're listed as a 6'1", 155-pound guard. I believe you were a two-star. Two stars. That's generous. I don't even know if I was two stars, but it just depends on, you know, who seen me at that time. But Maybe you were a one-star. You were, you were a one-star. It's funny because I, I went from 5'2 to 5'7 to 5'11. I actually verbally committed to Lehigh at 5'11. I think they had me down at 155 pounds, but there's no way I was 155 pounds. And then when I actually took my visit – and signed my letter of intent. I was 5'11 on the visit, signed my letter of intent at 6'1". So I, I think that's why they had me at 6'1". And I, I don't know how many pounds. And I played my senior year about 6'1 and a half, 6'2". And then end up growing some more once I got on campus. By the way, you are uh, no star, according to Rivals.com. <laughs> and you had one offer. Exactly. I, th I thought you were a little... CJ, I thought you were a little ambitious with that uh, the two-star. I had more than one offer, by the way. Let's just get okay. that out the Okay, okay. I did have... Uh, ESPN... Also list you as uh, just having the one offer. I, I think I might have had more interest than you. Is that is that possible? I think at one point in your life you probably because I was a, I was a pretty good. I mean, I was getting buckets in high school. You probably definitely had more interest in me at one point or another. I think looking at you know how my career kind of transformed. I went from zero offers to to one after a tournament. Lehigh, Lehigh, and well, Bowling Green was the first school to offer me. Then Lehigh followed shortly after that, and I played at Pittsburgh Jam Fest. Bowling Green's a legit. That's a max school. That's a legit yeah, offer. Yeah, it was a max school, and I played at Pittsburgh, and then I played at I think it was Pittsburgh Jam Fest, and it was West Virginia. I don't know if it was Jam Fest or Showcase, and I took my team to like the the Final Four, and I scored like twenty five. I was killing, hitting threes, getting to the lane, dropping dimes, and okay. I actually I actually okay. lied to. Um, to one of those those major networks, rivals, whatever it is, and I told him I told him that uh, <laughs> that the University of Furman had offered me along with another school, and next thing you know, they put it on rivals that I had. A, Wait, what? Say that I, again. The university. I said the University of Furman and another school that they were both recruiting me, like Boise State University. Furman University. Yeah. Okay, that's a South, South Carolina. Carolina school. Okay. So I had interest from those schools. So I told the uh, the media people after the game that I had offers from them, <laughs> as as well as as well as a couple other schools. So. Schools are piggybackers, you know what I mean? Like, if they see another school offered you, they jump in right yeah. away. It's just the way it works. It's right. kind of like real life. 
You know what I mean? Once the kid becomes popular, everybody wants to talk to him and be his friend. And that's kind of how it went. Once other schools found out that Bowling Green offered me, schools in the MAC, Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, they started coming. Once schools found out that Boise State offered me, even though they hadn't offered me yet because I lied, I, started, I, had, I went from zero offers <laughs> to two to 14 in a weekend. In one weekend, it was crazy. Oh, that must have been It awesome. was an awesome feeling because I had played well, and once the rumors started getting out that Bowling Green offered, that Lehigh offered, they started flowing in because the first thing the coach asked is, where does he have offers from? Has anybody offered him? And if nobody's offered you, they think something's wrong, and they're also, they're also at times afraid to kind of take that leap of faith. And I think once Lehigh took that leap of faith, Bowling Green had taken that leap of faith, it was easier for teams to kind of convince their head coach, hey, this kid has offers from other schools. Like, right. he's, he's legit. And uh, so I always say, I think it was funny how I lied. I, I, told, a little, I told a little lie, and uh, it worked out in my favor, and I ended up getting some offers anyway outside of the lie. The Lehigh process for you was the academics, that's what really sold you, and then the fact that you could become the first player ever drafted from Lehigh? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. And the dedication Coach Reed and the organization showed, I talked to Logie more than I talked to my mom, basically. Uh, he texting me, calling me, and just yeah. kind of staying in touch and just showing how interested they were in me. And the fact that... Matt Logie, by the way. Matt, shout out to Matt, Matt Logie. Logie. Yep. Washington, you know about that. That's you know a about... Seattle area product. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I used to see him play. Big time. Big-time corner three-ball shooter, Mercer Island High School. One, I know all about Matt. One of the best shooters in the history. So he actually sent me my, my first letter from Lehigh right after I scored 54 in my first career start. And I remember getting the letter and seeing they were brown and kind of researching the, the university. And back then you played the video game, you know, the college basketball video game. So I was playing that a lot. And I just kind of checking out the roster, seeing how I fit in, seeing what conference it was in. And um, once I, I seen the conference, I seen the organization and, and how – dedicated they were to, to making you a student first, student, athlete, and the understanding that the type of degree I would attain from there, the type of people I would be around, it would push me, it would challenge me in the classroom and on the court. It was a no-brainer for me. And once Coach Reed actually drove through like a, a tornado to get to me in Ohio to, to bring me my letter of intent, uh, that just kind of showed his dedication. His GPS actually went out, the power went out. Uh, there was telephone poles down on our street, trees everywhere, and we actually talked to him. What? We, yeah, it's crazy. We actually talked to him in my living room with candles because our power had gone out because we had like a tornado, and there was issued tornado warnings and sirens going off. So he basically drove around. Through, he basically risked his life to, to bring me my uh, letter of intent and to sit down and have the last talk with me before one of my good friends now, B.J. BJ Bailey, was supposed to take a visit, and uh, Coach Reed was afraid another kid was going to commit and then there would be no more scholarships left. And uh, he actually drove up and I actually commi I committed a couple of days before the kid could visit. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the best CJ fashion. The, 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 you know what, it's so fitting. These are the, the serendipitous things that happen to CJ. Okay, before we keep moving, I want to quickly talk about my friends at LinkedIn. A business like a basketball team is only as strong as its people. And every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply. Use LinkedIn. Jordan, have you ever used LinkedIn? You know what, CJ? I have, and some of the cool connections I've made on there have not even necessarily been within the journalism world, but just making connections in a new city, especially as I moved to New York out of school. And I feel like it's one of the best ways to meet people, both socially and professionally. 
Ah, I like that. I like that. I mean, you could use a simple job board when looking to hire, but why not utilize the world's largest professional network instead? It's a great way to find talent. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, locations, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Hundreds of thousands of businesses have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year, and 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. So give it a shot. I'll help you get started. Go to linkedin.com slash pull up and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash pull up for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions may apply. So with what actually happens on draft day, was there anything that surprised you or took you at least out of your comfort zone at some point? I think when they put the camera in your face right after you get off stage and you shake, you shake uh, who's it's now Adam Silver's hand and you walk off stage and ESPN's right there with the camera in your face kind of asking you about it. It's funny. Yeah. I got drafted. They asked me about it. I said, man, I'm just thankful to be here. You know, I, I started off at 5'2". You know, I was 5'2", 115 pounds. I said, I said, Drake said it. And I started from the bottom. I literally started from the bottom. And I said that, and I thought it was just funny how, you know, all the things, like why did I cite like a Drake, a Drake reference walking off stage? Oh, it's great. About where I started from uh, before uh, making it to the <laughs> NBA. But then the other thing that surprised me is that once I got backstage behind the uh, green room uh, to the media circuit action, the TV is tape delayed. So I can see the picks before they're announced. So I was able to see, it was crazy. I don't know if it's still like that now, but you can see the pics on the screen behind the scenes before it actually happens on TV. They, have, they like show like show what team is taking what player before it actually is announced right. uh, because there's a tape delay. So it was crazy. I was seeing the pics before they were happening. I was like, oh, shoot, my homie going there, he didn't even know it. Like, <laughs> type of situation. Were you, like, texting somebody or, like, no? I couldn't. Or, or no, too, I couldn't. Too quick. My phone ended up dying. So it's funny. I had this sponsorship with this company for these uh, okay. wireless chargers. And my phone died and my wireless charger died. So my phone was basically dead. Dame had texted me. I think L.A. had tweeted oh. at me. A lot of people were reaching out to me. And my phone was dead. So I wasn't able to really text anybody. Once I got drafted, it was over. My phone just messages blew up for days. So you, you – but you would have texted – and who, do you remember who it was? Because I don't have the draft in front of me. Um, I went 10. 11 was Michael Carter-Williams. I seen his. Giannis was 13. I think Steven Adams was in that 12 – but would you have texted any of those guys had you had your oh, phone? Oh, for sure. I for sure would have hit a couple of their lines. I think Allen went end of first, so he was like first or second pick in the second round. Uh, who else was there? Who else was late? Tim. Tell my Allen Crab. Yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, was in that. Was in that mix. Yeah. No. Absolutely. There's somebody else. That's got to bring back such good memories for Man, you. Man, it's, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's kind of the last time. Although you could be traded anytime, but. Any, anybody can be traded, but I, it's like the last time it's truly out of your control. You have no, no control, Yeah, you, which has got to be, even for the best prospects, it has to be nerve-wracking. Right, right. That's, that's very, very true. And I think that the important thing to remember is that, you know, as a kid, you always envision yourself playing the NBA, and then it comes. And just being a kid from Ohio, going to school in Bethlehem, you know, at, at, at Lehigh University, I never envisioned – being in Portland, like I never, like I'm an East Coast Midwest kid, so that was an awesome opportunity for me to get to experience, 
you know, the feeling of like, wow, I go from here, this part of the, the country to this part of the country. Now I have a completely different understanding and appreciation of the Pacific Northwest because I had never been there before. Besides my workout with Portland, I had never gone to the Pacific Northwest before in my life. I had never been to Seattle. I had never been to Portland. I had only been to Las Vegas for like an AAU tournament in Arkansas. <laughs> and that's probably as far as I, I had. I didn't go to wow. L.A. until after. I finished my, my pre-draft work. I stayed at my agent's house, and that was the first time I had ever been to L.A., 21 years old. Wow. Was Vegas the big-time tournament? Yeah, I believe Vegas was the big-time tournament, and that's when oh, yeah. all the, the major shoe sponsors were together. I think that's before they split it up and created an Adidas tournament right. and a Nike. I think we were still together, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, that sounds right. Did you have any inclination that Portland liked really liked you or was going to pick you? Yeah, for sure. Dame told me that I was like, really, really high up on the board. He was giving me insider information the whole time and telling me I was high up on the board because when I first got hurt, I was like, bro, I don't know if I'm going to um, go in the first round. He's like, bro, first round is a lock. You're going lottery. And I said, I don't know, bro. I got hurt. And this is around the time when Marcus Smart was supposed to come out and ended up going back to school. So Marcus right. Smart was really, really uh, highly touted coming out, and he was really high on everyone's boards. And I figured he would be the first, first or second guard taken before me because I was injured, I wasn't able to play, and then I wasn't able to work out until later. I didn't get cleared to the end of April. And uh, I was just worried and nervous about the whole situation. Dane was kind of keeping me involved, talking to, to our team scouts, and, and just kind of educating me on what was going on with the process and where I was at. And then as the process continued, I met with Portland, and they essentially told me that if I was there at 10, they, they were going to take me. And then the Sixers told me that if I was there at 11, you know, they, they had a high interest in, in me as well. So I, I thought I was either going to go to the Sixers, right, the Blazers. And, you know, it's crazy. I worked out for Sacramento twice. And Sacramento, after my after my um They picked uh, – that was Ben McLemore that, that year, I believe. Yep, that seven. was Ben McLemore. So I, thought, I honestly thought I was going to Sacramento because I worked out for them twice, and that was probably my, by far my best workout. So like when I was leaving there, I, I told my agent, I was, wow. like, I was like, I don't really – you know, read much into the workouts, but I said that was my best workout by far. And they called me and wanted me to come back right after I had got to the East Coast. I was pissed. I was like, Sam, <laughs> I do not want to get on no plane and fly back to Sacramento. So I said, they want me to come back, tell them they have to be really be serious about potentially taking me. Sure enough, they didn't end up drafting me anyway, but say la vie, such is life. And uh, I'm in a great situation now and happy about it. That's the great Sam Goldfeder who uh... – who I think is just absolute at the top of the game in the agency world. So I can imagine if he's if he sent you back there, uh, you guys must have really thought you, you could go to SAC. Yeah, I thought I was gonna get a couple extra days in LA and then kick it on the on the East Coast. And nope, Sam was like, we gotta we gotta we gotta get back to SAC. So went back to SAC. I'm gonna talk to Sam about that and let him know that was a mistake. <laughs> Ask him about it. He'll tell you about how, how my thought process was for the draft. And it's funny. I actually I met with. I think I went to Detroit, Phoenix, um, who's five, SAC, Utah, worked out for Utah. And when I got to the Sixers, I had the Portland had already told me they were going to take me at 10. And the Sixers were asking me, ironically, you know, if I could play with Drew Holiday. Um, and I was like, I think I can play with anybody. Drew Holiday can play on the one. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. I said, I can play on the ball, off the ball. I said, I don't see why I can't play with, with any type of guard, honestly, because of my versatility and ability to shoot. I think if you can shoot, you know, like Clay Thompson, uh, he's able to shoot. I think his his game translates to any team because he doesn't need a lot of dribbles. He doesn't need a, a special offense designed around him because he can shoot 
in a hurry, quick, in, in different ways, you know, off screens, off curls, off pin downs, off flares, and everything. So, ironically, I told him, I don't think I'm going to be there at 11, but if I am there, I think I can play with anybody. And sure enough, I got taken at 10 right before, um, right before Philly. Yeah, just for uh, context, I just pulled it up. That was uh, Anthony Bennett, one. Your guy Oladipo, two. Porter, three. Zeller, four. Len, five. And then guards ahead of you. McLemore, KCP, and Burke. And right behind you was MCW. And uh, just a – it was an interesting draft because uh, Bennett – it's a perfect example of how the media and just the public eye can I, – I, I think impact the draft. Like at some point, Bennett just became the guy. Even though he was like a 16-8 and eight player, he was a good player. But if you really look back, like Oladipo dominated at Indiana. And if you could redo this draft, you know, Bennett obviously has not worked out. Oladipo is now an all-NBA player. So it's just fascinating how it works. Right. And I, was, I went through the pre-draft, pre-draft process with A.B. Uh, we worked out together in New York, and it's crazy. A.B. was killing. My first workout watching him, we were playing two-on-two, and I was just seeing his, his fluidity, how, how well he moved, his skill set. He could shoot threes. He could post up. He was explosive. It's crazy. He got hurt the second day of pre-draft. Like, he hurt his shoulder, and they had to shut him down. He wasn't able to do any more workouts. So when he got drafted number one, we were all surprised. He looked at me and was like, wow, like, he didn't do any workouts. He wasn't able to work out for any teams because of his shoulder. He got hurt. And I think that hurt him not being able to work out through pre-draft. And then he had those issues, you know, with his breathing. He had to end up getting, you know, a procedure done because he wasn't sleeping yeah. properly. And I think that all that stuff kind of kind of messed up his his progress. And A.B. AB can hoop. Even to this day, A.B. got game. And I think, you know, he just put in a tough situation going to Cleveland and then the situation with LeBron, whether he's going to come back or not, all those things happen. And it it, it kind of put him in a in a in a tough light, you know. Being number one pick, there's a lot of pressure and you're under a lot of scrutiny. And I think if he goes in that ten to twenty range, you know, he's still I think he's still in the league to this day, and and being a contributor on on some team. But since you go number one, it just kind of changes the light on you and, and your expectations for what they're expecting you to accomplish. So he really he had no idea when he you were he was drafted one and he was like wow. There was, there was that much of a surprise. He was shocked. I was shocked. I looked at my agent. His agent looked at me. We all looked at each other because he didn't do any workouts. And wow. Think about it. It's, it's similar to – it'd be similar to well, I'll give you Michael a- Porter going one. Yeah, exactly. After, after being hurt. Like, it would be it – like, he probably would be surprised if he went one. And it's, it's capable of happening. Yeah, I've been told that, that Porter's medicals um, – we're we're good, and that his back was better than expected. And but when you when you're investing a a pick that high, especially number one, when you cannot miss, the medicals are as important as anything. And if you look at some of the players that have not worked out in the past, um, guys like Chris Dunn, to be Vesley, you know, a lot of times it doesn't matter, but it also a lot of times ends up being a a big negative because teams don't have an idea of of where you are, who you are as a person. So that's why I always encourage working out. I think it's it's a positive. I'm not saying you got to do 20 of them, but I think get around and meet with teams and have the opportunity to express yourself off the floor. All of those things are, are healthy for me. Yeah, I think it's extremely important. And I always said, depending on your skill set and your game, there's nothing wrong with, with going up against certain guys, especially if you're a guard, 
and you know how to shoot, you know how to dribble and pass. There's nothing wrong with playing two on two, one on one, or three on three. I worked out against second round picks. I worked out against guys who weren't drafted. I worked out against lottery picks. I wasn't running from anyone. I wasn't really really worried about that stuff because my game translates to all those different types of settings. And I think nowadays, I don't know if it's the player that's afraid or the agency is kind of holding them back and kind of having them shy away from contact or having them shy away from working out against certain guys. I think if you can hoop, you can hoop. And if a team likes you, they're going to like you whether you have a great workout or, or a terrible workout. Like I didn't shoot the ball particularly well in my workout with Portland at all. I didn't shoot the ball. But I didn't think it was a great workout. I did an individual basically by myself just working out with their staff and I wasn't happy with the way I performed but they already knew what I was capable of you're not going to get solely judged on a 45 minute workout when you have 112 games you know under your belt or whatever I had three six nine over 110 games in my career in college they were judging me by that my personality and how I could potentially help the team yeah and that goes back to the argument for some of the European prospects and this is a there's a real dearth of them in this in this class, but the fact that guys like Doncic or, or Kobo or Musa, you know, they American fans, the casual fan, hasn't really seen them play because they weren't on TV every night playing in big conferences. They weren't playing in March Madness, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I just think the opportunity and and a lot of those guys won't, won't like Doncic didn't work out with any teams, but. I just think the opportunity, if you like to your point, if you can hoop, you can hoop. And on specifically in workouts, not talking about Europeans, but just anybody, if you're running away from guys in workouts because you think you might get embarrassed or you might get exposed, well, what's going to happen first day of minicamp? Man, that's true. Or training camp. I think it's time for the wine corner. Yes, sir. Cue the music, please. I haven't had any wine this past week. However... Actually, I did. I take that back. I lied. I had some wine with my pops and Big Bro and his fiance uh, at a restaurant in Cleveland. I can't remember the name of it. It was a Spanish wine. It was very, very good. But since I can't remember the name of it, I'm going to give you guys another exclusive wine from my Bovino list, from my actual cellar. The Duckhorn. It's called the Discussion 2012. It's a red wine from Napa. It's priced at around $120, but you can buy it for $109.95. On Pavino. It's a 4.6 rating. 580, uh, 548 ratings have been done for it. It's featured in the top 25 Napa Valley Bordeaux blend wines in the United States right now. It's among the top 1% of all wines in the world. And for those of you that like a little breakdown, uh, it's fresh black cherries with a hint of a raspberry and a herbal tea finish. And it's lovely, according to some of the comments. And for me personally, I think it has a great taste. I think it goes down smooth. It can be paired with a lot of different items. So for those of you that are into red wines um, and want to stray away from the Pinots and get closer to the, some of those those cabs and those Merlot flavors, I think the Duckhorn, the Discussion 2012 is for you. And for those of you that don't like the price point, I'll be recommending a more cheap variety for you in the, in the coming weeks before I go back to the uh, top shelf stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I hear that. I went uh, provocateur this week. As you saw on my Instagram story, CJ, and actually very affordable from the Ooh. Willamette Valley. And you could buy it for as low as $22.99. So I'm working on finding price points that work for everybody. And I think this is one of those wines that is, uh, has great value. And uh, to, I see. To, to relate that back to the MVA draft, kind of like a Mikhail Bridges perhaps. Great value. Not necessarily <laughs> great a top value. three pick or whatever, but 
a great player, great wine, and uh, obviously being from Willamette is always a plus. I like that. I like that recommendation. And for all the listeners out there that are used to the J. Cole quotes, I'm getting away from them right now for a little bit, and we will come back to that shortly. But I got a, I got a nice, nice passage excerpt from my, from my pastor in church on, uh, on Father's Day this past Sunday, and he said, he said, there's nothing, he said, there's nothing more important than a special relationship with the right individual, relationship or relationships. And I think that's a great thing to remember as these players head into this NBA draft. And there's nothing more important than the strong relationships you have in place right now, before you become a multimillionaire, before you become a, a public figure and a famous person. Understand the type of relationships you have now and how they are and who's been in your corner, you know, since before, even before you, you made a dollar, who's rebounded for you, you know, what type of decisions you made up to this point because your life is going to change forever. And for those of you out there that aren't going to, be, going to become NBA players, you know, value those strong relationships you have because there's nothing more important or more valuable than a strong relationship with the right individual. So take that with you. Take that to the bank, Jordan. That's great stuff, and that's why uh, I appreciate you, Mr. McCollum, because you offer advice to even the non-hoopers. <laughs> hey, we all need advice from time to time, including myself. But we'll be back next week. Don't forget to follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow me at 3G McCollum on Instagram, at CJ McCollum on Twitter, and at CJM313 on the snap. And you can follow Jordan on Twitter and Instagram at Schultz underscore report. Jordan Schultz on Facebook. And I always appreciate advice. And also, don't forget to pull up. Pull up. Boom.